Chapter Three of the Book of Werewolves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martina van Haperen. The Book of Werewolves by Sabine Baring Gould. Chapter Three. Chapter Three. The Werewolf in the North. North Traditions. Manner in which the change was effected. Völendag Föda, Instances from the Völsunga Saga, Rolf's Saga Kraka, Faroese Poem, Helgak Fida, Vatsnella Saga, Arbikjar Saga. In Norway and Iceland, certain men were said to be Aigi Einhamir, not of one skin, an idea which had its roots in paganism. The full form of this strange superstition was that men could take upon them other bodies, and the natures of those beings whose bodies they assumed. The second adopted shape was called by the same name as the original shape, Hammer, and the expression made use of to designate the transition from one body to another was Kipta Hummum, or Ad Hamas, whilst the expedition made in the second form was the Hamther. By this transfiguration, extraordinary powers were acquired. The natural strength of the individual was doubled, or quadrupled. He acquired the strength of the beast in whose body he travelled, in addition to his own, and the man thus invigorated was called Hamrammer. The manner in which the change was effected varied. At times, a dress of skin was cast over the body, and at once the transformation was complete. At others, the human body was deserted, and the soul entered the second form, leaving the first body in a cataleptic state, to all appearance dead. The second hammer was either borrowed or created for the purpose. There was yet a third manner of producing this effect. It was by incantation. But then the form of the individual remained unaltered, though the eyes of all beholders were charmed so that they could only perceive him under the selected form. Having assumed some bestial shape, the man who is Aigi Einhammer is only to be recognized by his eyes, which by no power can be changed. He then pursues his course, following the instinct of the beast whose body he has taken, yet without quenching his own intelligence. He is able to do what the body of the animal can do, and do what he, as man, can do as well. He may fly or swim, if he is in the shape of a bird or fish, if he has taken the form of a wolf, or if he goes on a gantride, a wolf's ride, he is full of the rage and malignity of the creatures whose powers and passions he has assumed. I will give a few instances of each of the three methods of changing bodies mentioned above. Freya and Frigg had their falcon dresses in which they visited different regions of the earth, and Loki is said to have borrowed these, and to have then appeared so precisely like a falcon that he would have escaped detection but for the malicious twinkle of his eyes. In the Velenderkvita is the following passage Meigar flugu sunan, Murkvit i gugnum, Alfiter unga, Orlug drukja. Per a sivstrund setusk at filask, dro si sutrunner, dirt lin spuno, einam feira 
Egil at feria, Fugger mer fira, Fat mi ljösum, Önur var svanfit, Svanfit fjatja drö, En in pritja, Tejra sistir, Fari fitan, Has fölunda. From the south flew the maidens, Asward the gloom, Alfred the young, To fix destinies. They on the sea strand set them to rest, these damsels of the south, fair linen spun. One of them took eagle to press fair maid in her dazzling arms, another was Svanvit, who wore swan feathers, and the third, their sister, pressed the white neck of Völund. The introduction of Sermund tells us that these charming young ladies were caught when they had laid their swan skins beside them on the shore and were consequently not in a condition to fly. In like manner were wolf's dresses used. The following curious passage is from the wild saga of the Vilsungs. It is now to be told that Siegmund thought Sinfjordli too young to help him in his revenge, and he wished first to test his powers. So during the summer they plunged deep in the woods, and slew men for their goods, and Siegmund saw that he was quite of the Völsung stock. Now it fell out that as they went through the forest, collecting monies, that they lighted on a house in which were two men sleeping, with great gold rings on them. They had dealings with witchcraft, for wolf skins hung up in the house above them. It was the tenth day on which they might come out of their second state. They were king's sons. Siegmund and Sinfjordli got into the habits, and could not get out of them again, and the nature of the original beasts came over them, and they howled as wolves. They learned both of them to howl. Now they went into the forest, and each took his own course. They made the agreement together that they should try their strength against as many as seven men, but not more, and that he who was to wear of strife should utter his wolf's howl. Do not fail in this, said Siegmund, for you are young and daring, and men will be glad to chase you. Now each went his own course, and after they had parted, Siegmund found men, so he howled, and when Sinfjordli heard that, he ran up and slew them all. Then they separated. And Sinfjordli had not been long in the wood before he met with eleven men. He fell upon them and slew them, every one. Then he was tired, so he flung himself under an oak to rest. Up came Siegmund and said, Why did you not call out? Sinfjordli repi- replied, What was the need of asking your help to kill eleven men? Siegmund flew at him and rent him so that he fell, for he had bitten through his throat. That day they could not leave their wolf forms. Siegmund laid him on his back and bade him to come to the hall, and sat beside him, and said, Deuce, take the wolf forms. There is another curious story of a werewolf in the same saga, which I must relate. Now he did as she requested, and hewed down a great piece of timber, and cast it across the feet of those ten brothers seated in a row in the forest. And there they sat all that day, and on till night. And at midnight there came on an old she-wolf out of the forest to them as they sat in the stocks, and she was both huge and grimly. Now she fell upon one of them, and bit him to death, and after she had eaten him all up, she went away, and next morning 
Signu sent a trusty man to her brothers, to know how it had fared with them. When he returned, he told her of the death of one, and that grieved her much, for she feared it might thus fare with them all, and she would be unable to assist them. In short, nine nights following came the she-wolf at midnight, and devoured them one after another, till all were dead, except Siegmund, and he was left alone. So when the tenth night came, Siegmund sent her trusty man to Siegmund, her brother, with honey in his hand, and said that he was to smear it over the face of Siegmund, and to fill his mouth with it. Now he went to Siegmund, and did as he was bid, after which he returned home. And during the night came the same she-wolf, as was her wont, and reckoned to devour him, like his brothers. Now she snuffed at him where the honey was smeared, and began to lick his face with her tongue and presently thrust her tongue into his mouth. He bore it ill, and bit into the tongue of the she-wolf. She sprang up, and tried to break loose, setting her feet against the stock, so as to snap it asunder. But he held firm, and ripped the tongue out by the roots, so that it was the death of the wolf. It is the opinion of some men that this beast was the mother of King Zigair, and that she had taken this form upon her, through devilry and witchcraft. There is another story bearing on the subject in the Rolf Saga Kraka, which is pretty. It is as follows. In the north of Norway, in upland dales, reigned a king called Ring, and he had a son named Björn. Now it fell out that the queen died, much lamented by the king and by all. The people advised him to marry again, and so he sent men south to get him a wife. A gale and fierce storm fell upon them, so that they had to turn the helm, and run before the wind, and so they came north to Finnmark, where they spent the winter. One day they went inland, and came to a house in which sat two beautiful women, who greeted them well, and inquired whence they had come. They replied by giving an account of their journey and their errand, and then asked the women who they were, and why they were alone and far from the haunts of men, although they were so comely and engaging. The elder replied that her name was Ingibjorg, and that her daughter was called Vit, and that she was the Finn king's sweetheart. The messengers decided that they would return home, if Vit would come with them, and marry King Ring. She agreed, and they took her with them, and met the king who was pleased with her, and had his wedding feast made, and said that he cared not, though she was not rich. But the king was very old, and that the queen soon found out. There was a carl who had a farm not far from the king's dwelling. He had a wife and a daughter, who was but a child, and her name was Bira. She was very young and lovely. Björn, the king's son, and Bira, the carl's daughter, were wont as children to play together, and they loved each other well. The carl was well to do, he had been out harrying in his young days, and he was a doughty champion. Björn and Bera loved each other more and more, and they were often together. Time passed, and nothing worth relating occurred, but Björn the king's son waxed strong and tall, and he was well skilled in all manly exercises. King Ring was often absent for long, harrying foreign shores, and Vid remained at home and governed the land. She was not liked of the people. She was always very pleasant with Björn, but he cared little for her. 
It fell out once that King Ring went abroad, and he spake with his queen that Bjorn should remain at home with her to assist in the government, for he thought it advisable, the queen being haughty and inflated with pride. The king told his son Bjorn that he was to remain at home and rule the land with the queen. Bjorn replied that he disliked the plan and that he had no love for the queen. But the king was inflexible and left the land with a great following. Bjorn walked home after his conversation with the king and went up to his place, ill-pleased and red as blood. The queen came to speak with him and to cheer him and spake friendly with him but he bade her be off. She obeyed him that time. She often came to walk with him, and said how much pleasanter it was for them to be together than to have an old fellow like Ring in the house. Bjorn resented this speech, and struck her a box in the ear, and bade her depart, and he spurned her from him. She replied that this was ill done to drive and thrust her away, and, "'You think it better, Bjorn?' to sweetheart a carl's daughter than to have my love and favour a fine piece of condescension and disgrace it is to you but before long something will stand in the way of your fancy and your folly then she struck at him with a wolfskin glove and said that he should become a rabbit and grim wild bear and you shall eat nothing but your father's sheep which you shall slay for your food and never shall you leave this state after that Bjorn disappeared, and none knew what had become of him, and men sought but found him not, as was to be expected. We must now relate how that the king's sheep were slaughtered, half a score at a time, and it was all the work of a grey bear, both huge and grimly. One evening it chanced that the carl's daughter saw this savage bear coming towards her, looking tenderly at her, and she fancied that she recognised the eyes of Bjorn the king's son. So she made a slight attempt to escape. Then the beast retreated, but she followed it till she came to a cave. Now, when she entered the cave, there stood before her a man who greeted Bira, the carl's daughter, and she recognized him, for he was Bjorn, Ring's son. Overjoyed were they to meet. So they were together in the cave a while, for she would not part from him when she had the chance of being with him. But he said that this was not proper that she should be there by him, for by day he was a beast, and by night a man. Ring returned from his harrying, and was told the news of what had taken place during his absence, how that Bjorn, his son, had vanished, and also how that the monstrous beast was up the country, and was destroying his flocks. The queen urged the king to have the beast slain, but he delayed a while. As Bera and Bjorn were together, he said to her, Methinks to-morrow will be the day of my death, for they will come out to hunt me down. But for myself I care not, for it is little pleasure to live with this charm upon me, and my only comfort is that we are together. But now our union must be broken. I will give you the ring which is under my left hand. You will see the troop of hunters to-morrow, coming to seek me, and when I am dead, Go to the king, and ask him to give you what is under the beast's left front leg. He will consent. He spoke to her of many other things, till the bear's form stole over him, and he went forth a bear. She followed him, 
and saw that a great body of hunters had come over the mountain ridges and had a number of dogs with them the bear rushed away from the cavern but the dogs and the king's men came upon him and there was a desperate struggle he wearied many men before he was brought to bay and had slain all the dogs but now they made a ring about him and he ranged around it but could see no means of escape so he turned to where the king stood and he seized the man who stood next to him and rent him asunder then was the bear so exhausted that he cast himself down flat and at once the man rushed in upon him and slew him the khan's daughter saw this and she went up to the king and said sire wilt thou grant me that which is under the bear's left fore shoulder the king consented by this time his men had nearly flayed the bear bira went up and plucked away the ring and kept it but none saw what she took nor had they looked for anything the king asked her who she was and she gave a name but not her true name the king now went home and bira was in his company the queen was very joyous and treated her well and asked who she was but bira answered as before the queen now made a great feast and had the bear's flesh cooked for the banquet the khan's daughter was in the bower of the queen and could not escape for the queen had a suspicion who she was then she came to bira with a dish quite unexpectedly and on it was bear's flesh and she bade bira eat it she would not do so here is a marvel said the queen you reject the offer which a queen herself deigns to make you take it at once or something worse will befall you she bit before her and she ate of that bite the queen cut another piece and looked into her mouth she saw that one little grain of the bite had gone down but bira spread out all the rest from her mouth and said she would take no more though she were tortured or killed maybe you've had sufficient said the queen and she laughed in the faroese song of finord hindfriti we have the following verse hegar et finord heta sir manspel varat maini skapti han segi varkliki han feldi alvel fleiri when this peril fin saw that witchcraft did him harm then he changed himself into a werewolf he slew many thus the following is from the quita of helga hundingsbanner may the blade bite which thou brandiest only on thyself when it chimes on thy head then avenged will be the death of helgi when thou as a wolf wanderest in the woods knowing no fortune nor any pleasure having no meat save writhings of corpses in all these cases the change is of the form we shall now come to instances in which the person who is changed has a double shape and the soul animates one after the other the unglinga saga says of odin that he changed form the bodies lay as though sleeping or dead but he was a bird or a beast a fish or a woman and went in a twinkling to far distant lands doing his own and other people's business in like manner the danish king harold sent a warlock to iceland in the form of a whale whilst his body lay stiff and stark at home the already quoted saga of rolf krake gives us another example where butfar bjarki in the shape of a huge bear fights desperately with the enemy 
which has surrounded the hall of his king, whilst his human body lies drunkenly beside the embers within. In the Vatsandela saga there is a curious account of three Finns who were shut up in a hut for three nights, and ordered by Ingimund, a Norwegian chief, to visit Iceland and inform him of the lie of the country where he was to settle. Their bodies became rigid, and they sent their souls to the errand, and on their awaking at the end of three days gave an accurate description of the Vatsendal, in which Ingimund was eventually to establish himself. But the saga does not relate whether these Finns projected their souls into the bodies of birds or beasts. The third manner of transformation mentioned was that in which the individual was not changed himself, but the eyes of others were bewitched, so that they could not detect him, but saw him only under a certain form. Of this there are several examples in the sagas, as, for instance, in the Romander saga Grebsonar, and in the Fostbritra saga. But I will translate the most curious, which is that of Odd, Katla's son, in the Eyrbukja saga. Geirith, housewife of Mafalit, sent word into Bolstad that she was aware of the fact that Odd, Katla's son, had hewn off Odd's head. Now, when Thoradin and Arnkal heard that, they rode from home with twelve men. They spent the night in Mafalit, and rode on the next morning to halt, and Odd was the only man in the house. Katla sat on the high seat, spinning yarn, and she bade Odd sit beside her. Also, she bade her women sit each in her place and hold their tongues. For, said she, I shall do all the talking. Now, when Arnkel and his company arrived, they walked straight in, and when they came to the chamber, Katla greeted Arnkel and asked the news. He replied that there was none, and he inquired after Odd. Katla said that he had gone to Breidavik. We shall ransack the house, though, quoth Arnkel. Be it so, replied Katla, and she ordered the girl to carry a light before them, and unlock the different parts of the house. All they saw was Katla spinning yarn on her distaff. Now they searched the house, but find no odd, so they depart. But when they had gone a little way from the garth, Ankel stood still and said, How know we but that Katla has hoodwinked us, and that the distaff in her hand was nothing more than odd? Not impossible, said Thorarin. Let us turn back. They did so, and when those at Holt saw that they were returning, Katla said to her maids, Sit still in your places, odd and I shall go out. Now, as they approached the door, she went into the porch, and began to comb and clip the hair of her son Odd. Arnkel came to the door, and saw where Katla was, and she seemed to be stroking her goat, and disentangling its mane and beard, and smoothing its wool. So he and his men went into the house, but found not Odd. Katla's distaff lay against the bench, so they thought that it could not have been Odd, and they went away. However, when they had come near the spot where they had turned before, Ankel said, Think you not that Ott may have been in the goat's form? There's no saying, replied Thorarin, but if we turn back, we will lay hands on Katla. We can try our luck again, quoth Ankel, and see what comes of it. So they returned. Now when they were seen on their way back, Katla bade Ott follow her, and she led him to the ash heap 
and told him to lie there and not to stir on any account but when ankal and his men came to the farm they rushed into the chamber and saw katla seated in her place spinning she greeted them and said that their visits followed with rapidity ankal replied that what she said ankal replied that what she said was true his comrades took the distaff and cut it in twain come now said katla you cannot say when you get home that you have done nothing for you have chopped my distaff then ankal and the rest hunted high and low for odd but could not find him indeed they saw nothing living about the place beside a bull pig which lay under the ash heap so they went away once more well when they got half-way to mafalit came gaire to meet them with her workmen they had not gone the right way to work in seeking odd she said but she would help them so they turned back again gairid had a blue cloak on her now when the party was seen and reported to katla and it was said that they were thirteen in number and one had a coloured dress katla exclaimed that troll gairid is come i shall not be able to throw a glamour over their eyes any more she started up from her place and lifted the cushion of the seat and there was a hole and a cavity beneath into this she thrust old clapped the cushion over him and sat down saying she felt sick at heart now when they came into the room there were small greetings guided cast off her cloak and went up to katla and took the sealskin bag which she had in her hand and threw it over the head of katla then guided bade them to break up the seat they did so and found odd him they took and carried to the bullan's head where they hanged him but katla they stoned to death under the headland end of chapter three recording by martina van haberen amsterdam